Tim Delhaas from, well, you've got a couple different things going on, but I'm pumped to have you here and talk about what those specific things are. So the latest thing that you're up to is grindery.io. Why don't you take a second as we're kicking things off here and just kind of introduce yourself. Give, give us the quick, we can, we'll dive in more, I'm sure, as we go through the rest of the conversation, but a quick background on where you came from and then wh- what you're working on with Grindery right now. All right. Okay. Okay. Good. Where I came from. I got to do a quick recap. So um, I'm currently actually in in, uh, in Germany. Um, my yeah birth country. Um, I, I uh, grew there, up there as a as a kid, um, and then uh, spent some time when I was a teenager living in uh, in uh, in Indonesia. Um, as a when I from five to ten, I grew up in Portugal. Went to German school there. My parents are teachers. And uh, after I went on an exchange here to Indonesia um, when I was 15, um, I really was like, yeah, how do I get out of Germany? It's just, just too boring and too cold. And uh, I applied to do, um, back then you had like uh, in Germany, a, 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 yeah, voluntary civil service instead of the military service back then. And I applied to do this abroad. And uh, usually I look for people that have a background as being an electrician or some kind of engineer. So you can actually put in like whatever uh, electricity lines or dig holes in Africa somewhere. But when you come out of a high school and you pretty much no shit all. Um, you know, there's not that many options. Anyway, they offered me to go to Chile in the late, um, this was like in the in the mid-90s, like 96 or so. And um, yeah, I, was, uh, I was, when I got the offer, it's like, oh, going to Chile, South America, sounds like interesting. Um, saw 5,000 kilometers of coast, figured, well, you know, there must be good surf back then, you know, pre-internet, you know, it was just Lonely Planet and whatever friends could tell you. Um, and uh, the Andes, and I figured, yeah, you know, if everything goes wrong, going to have good skiing and, you know, in the, in the wintertime and good surfing in the summertime. So went down there, I think it was like in 97, did that service for about a year and a half, met some, you know, friends that became business partners set up a multimedia company um, to produce CD-ROMs. And, you know, one of those partners from back then, Alberto Contreras, is still partnered today in Grindery and an Inbound Lab. So we've been doing stuff on and off together for, yeah, pretty crazy now, 20 years. Um, the multimedia company then turned into an internet company, um, a web integration and building online communities and all sorts of stuff, you know, uh, the dot-com times. Um, what, but what year was like, that? What year? That was. I think we started the company in '97, '98, okay. um, with like three guys living together in a house and partying together and have a, being totally broke. <laughs> yeah. um, and then this thing from literally in like 18 months, from the three of us grew to we were like a hundred plus people. 18 months later, it was wow. pretty crazy. Wow. I was like 21, no. No clue about anything, really. Um, <laughs> at least running a business would walk in in the morning and go like, oh, you're new here. Hi, what are you doing? Yeah, fuck, no, no clue. Anyway, we then got um, – we then had an offer to sell the company um, to a large multinational Canadian um, uh, con- media conglomerate. And uh, it sounded like a great deal. It was, it was like January 2000. The Nasdaq was on 5,000. 
and you know this is was a was a this was a ride that would never end right from there on this was just the beginning this was yep. just going to go upwards how every bubble field <laughs> so, yeah. and we we sold um you know the company with like you know change in stock some cash and so on with the idea that from there on it's you know we're going to build you know we're going to take over the world and then yeah i think it was like what march 2000 the nasdaq started like crumbling a little bit and from there downwards and uh I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. At some point, I had like a million dollars in stock in this other company, and uh, we got we got some cash out, which was good. But all of the stock, I remember, we got it when it was like at eighty dollars per per share. And when the escrow ended and we could actually cash out, it was delisted. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> it was actually like literally burned and gone. Um, from there, we built a um, CRM company. Um, that was kind of a little bit like a salesforce.com, but for, um, uh, with an open source angle for Latin America, uh, also grew very quickly, got totally screwed over by our uh, partners back then, some Chilean guys lost the business was, 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 was gone, like it just evaporated. Um, and then created a company that's called Ticketbytes, which became the largest Google enterprise partner. Um, in Latin America, it's been it, the company just turned ten years. Basically, distributing Google Apps and um, that stuff. Great business, boring as hell. Um, like selling Google Apps to IT people. Yeah. So that that was that was uh, yeah, it was good business, but just just too boring. And spent about five years doing nonprofit work with um, Endeavor and uh, Founder Institute and running uh, startup events all over Latin America, and it was kind of where I had more and more activities in the U.S., um, with no real um, energy to set up another startup. Um, it was, uh, yeah, uh, back then I was still single, had no kids. It was like, yeah, fly to Panama, talk at some startup event, do a keynote, and then go surfing for a week, okay? So I, I think if I ever had a job, this was, like, it was the last job somehow that I had, and this was the best job I ever had, like in having a job and not a, running a company, you know, no responsibility to just show up and talk and go surfing afterwards, you know, right. uh, and drinking, obviously. And uh, from there, then I uh, uh, had an idea and I itch again. I wanted to do another startup, create a company called Monkey Contact, which was like a big data company. It's very similar. Like a lot of the stuff we do today in Grindery goes back to things we started in, 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 in Monkey Contact. Hmm. It's like hmm. six years ago. And uh, I always wanted to do one startup from the Valley, so I moved to San Francisco. My first son was born there, um, raised, you know, uh, angel round there, um, took some of the money, developed patents, and did all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, popped up in TechCrunch, and, you know, just how you do it, like a tech startup from zero. Um, but half a million bucks in, like, uh, in a tech world, you burn through that really quickly, and you go like, oh, didn't we just celebrate that we raised, you know, cash from yeah. investors, like, poof, you know, <laughs> gone. And when we're running out of money, like one of the products that was part of technology we built, we saw it as an, an opportunity to integrate with HubSpot. And we're running out of money, so we're like, well, whatever, we're going to integrate with HubSpot, but let's make sure we can pay salaries for the core team. And we said, let's go ahead, and, and this was four years ago. Let's develop some website for websites for HubSpot customers. And back then, there was really few agencies with you know software development background, and we came more from a tech side. And that 
kind of gave birth to inbound that's with like completely no uh intention on or on no major great ambition um and it you know it was kind of an accidental business okay what? it was just I was trying to remember because yeah. we talked about this before. What year did, did that start when you guys were doing that? It's it's pretty. I think it's in in it's if I if I remember right in in May it's going to be five years ago. Okay, twenty fourteen. Okay. Roughly. Yeah, I think, yeah, roughly. I was back then. I was um, I think I was living on the Canary Islands. I was moving from Mexico to Canary Islands. Right? Am I? Am I, I like how you don't stuff. have years. You just have locations. Just, Here's my sorry, yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's my Germany time. Here's my Portugal time. I don't know how old I was, but that I remember that oh. happened when I was in this location. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and and that's how Imam that came around, and 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 this experience that we had, or this experience from this previous technology startup, Monkey, um, which didn't sell. I, I think we it didn't make a single invoice, okay? Like it never made any money because we didn't deliver anything to customers. But we spent a lot of time like thinking about tech and product and Inbound Labs was kind of the opposite and didn't develop anything. It was really about, you know, <clears throat> selling billable hours like an agency, right? And the thing that 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 that, that started in Inbound Labs was five years ago, we really from the original team were just three people left and it was Alberto, one of you know my first partner in, in Chile, um, our you know you know lead developer Joe, who sits in China, and I was at that point moving to I was just starting I think I was in Mexico when we really started working on it, and we had a distributed team of three people, so there was never an idea of having an office or sitting even in the same co work you know that didn't exist, and when people were added to the team. Um, Everybody was remote, so the company never had a physical location, and it started, you know, more and more people started kind of joining under this remote and subcontractor model, because how we had it set up was that the three of us were simply subcontracted to a business that was incorporated in the U.S., so everybody else that came in was also subcontractor or freelancer and was also, you know, in a remote um was also in a remote, uh, you know, location. So we had a distributed team, and this dynamics um, kind of developed forward. Um, and if you now fast forward to um, 2017, 2018, um, to a moment where we would have, I, I think, roughly 80 or 90 people every month um, uh, uh, working. In inbound labs on customer projects. So, um, yeah, I don't know the ten different languages, uh, twenty different countries, every single continent, every time zone covered. Still no office, and very rarely more than two people at the same location. I mean, um, the I was in Portugal four weeks ago, yeah, six weeks ago, and I went to Nazaré to watch the big wave surfing championship, and. I bumped into a coworker, <laughs> like literally, like, what are you doing here? Hey, Tim? Yeah, fuck you. What are you doing here at the surfing championship, right? And I was like, oh, I just ran into somebody. Wow. And this is, this, is, this is this kind of like weird um, stories. But um, this what became kind of the DNA in, in Mountain Labs. And um, to now kind of make the connection from where you started, um, what we're doing today in Grindr is what we realized is that, you know, we 
Inbound Labs as a as a HubSpot partner and as an agency um, had a um, yeah had kind of a dual identity. So on one side, it's a company focused on delivering value and agency type services to customers like any other agency and it's okay that it's remote but the the remote component really um was something that is we felt has nothing specifically to do with inbound labs or a hubspot partner but um we we started realizing what we've been doing for five years is pretty much the way of the future it's the um how we look at it today, it's what work is going to look like. It already looks like, but it, what it will look like increasingly because um, the ability to source talent on a global scale is absolutely fundamental, um, you know, especially when you have a background come, for example, you spend time in Silicon Valley where, you know, you literally have the talent war. If I think today that I need to look for people and I need to restrict my search to a one physical location and a hundred mile radius, that's like hiring with the handbrake on, right? It's like you're in a global race, you're competing in this crazy Formula One race, but you're going, hey, I can win this, but I'm just gonna hire people like that live in a hundred kilometer radius. It's, it would be about the same exercise to say, I'm, you know, we're just gonna hire people with long dark hair or only people that are Guess what? We're building agency and, you know, people that work here are all over a meter 90. You know, I mean, what's the point, right? It's like um, uh, putting yourself up to a challenge that today, especially in digital marketing, um, doesn't add any value anymore. I mean, if if you can't collaborate with – if we can't collaborate over the internet in a distributed team and our customers cannot relate to their customers over the internet – I mean, what are we doing in the space trying to do any kind of services? I mean, that's what we're trying to help our customers with. So we should be able to do that ourselves to start off with, right? And that's that's kind of where we see what's happening is this, you know, the future of this blended workforce where, um, you know, you always going to have people, so to speak, in-house. Um, you know, you want to align people with your business goals. And we had some really... Uh, uh, strong learning experiences there over the last few years and understanding how those dynamics work. But this this ability to tap into expertise of people independent of the location gives you just such an agility um, on the side of offering different services and react to, to customer problems on one side without this tying your hands together and increasing the fixed payroll Right. right, right and right. I believe that, yeah, it's not only the you know the future of work and what we're going to see in many industries, but specifically for agencies, I believe that that's the future of how successful agencies are going to operate. Yeah, there's so much to dive into there, and there's so much <clears throat> that sticks out to me, and I kind of want to take it from like uh you know here's some compelling reasons why, and I think you shared a lot of them why this is important. Um, and some keys to make it work, which obviously from your experience we'll be able to pull a lot from. I also want to throw at you some of the most common objections and just basically say, like, how do we navigate around? There's some real challenges with distributed teams. Um, what are you know kind of tips from your experience? But I think it's fascinating to me to see your background and story and how 
inbound labs, like that experience has kind of organically led to the next thing and how that happens so often through kind of your story here is how one business leads to, oh, here's this other problem. And uh, one of the things that I appreciate about the conversations that we've had and getting to know you more is I, um, I really enjoy people who are like wired very differently from me because it challenges me to look at the world differently. So you're more like the visionary, the big ideas, uh, move fat, like the epitome of move fast and break things is like, that's kind of up your alley. Um, and I'm like, move too slow, like the tortoise and maybe the thing works, but it's, it's two years behind by the time I get it out. Um, so it's helpful to just kind of hear and hear the breakdown of, um, what you've gone through, the experience that you had building inbound labs with inbound labs. I'm trying to remember, I don't remember what the first year I saw the inbound, the inbound labs, uh, brand or it might've been, you guys, uh, and you might currently be, I have not really paid attention to the HubSpot ecosystem as far as partner tiers as much in the last couple of years. That used to be a big thing for us when we were striving for the same thing. Uh, <laughs> but you guys were a diamond partner. Are you still? Yeah, I was still, was still diamond partner. Um, uh, you know, in all transparency and all other uh, partners out there. I mean, HubSpot just, you know, I mean, we've lived for a long time of the partner directory um, because it's a big, important source of leads. So, you know, it sold MRR, uh, you know, and uh, 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 tier status and, you know, amount of reviews important. But, you know, HubSpot is doctoring around on this HubSpot partner directory so much that, you know, now it's being spammed with reviews. I literally get like other agencies sending me emails if I want to write them a review and I go like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, you know, what is, what's happening there? <laughs> and, um, but yeah, we still, you know, we have a, we have a diamond tier, um, uh, uh, we have a diamond tier status and, um, yeah, with the partner record we've been, I think last year or so, we've been ranking top three, top five, top two, up and down. Now I think, with the change of the reviews, we're on six maybe, or I, right. you know, I don't know. I don't know, but it's a, it's a, it's a whole story by itself. Yeah. So there's, there's a ton Obviously, we could, we could talk about there, but let's give, um, let's give everyone kind of an update on what you're currently working on. Cause we talked about the re kind of the rationale behind it and what you were seeing. So with what you're working on right now, um, with grindery.io, just give mm -hmm. us the kind of the, um, how, what is grindery.io, I guess, in a, in a nutshell? Yeah. So it, it doesn't really fit in a nutshell, but you can give us a nutshell just, version just, of it. And let me put it like this. If, if I could put it uh, into a nutshell today, then we would be, um, you know, another few miles ahead. One of the big things that I've learned about um, building startups and, and <coughs> working in, you know, mentoring program with other founders, you know, at first it's always easier to give advice to others than actually doing shit yourself, right? So when somebody tells you them, you know, tells you something about their business, you go like, yeah, but why don't you put it like this? Or oh, I get it or put it the other way. And you know, it's because you talk to a lot of agency owners too. And, you know, from the outside, the, the perspective is easier, you know? Um, so uh, if, if I had that clarity, um, it would be different. And, you know, we're in this typical stage or phase of, um, what I think about like an auto discovery process, you know, you have this gut feeling of, you know, where things are going and what has to be done and you're moving in a direction. Okay. It's kind of like, 
you know, looking at the stars and walking, you know, in some direction and figuring it, you know, you, you feel that this is the right way to go, but you don't actually have a map. Okay. And if anybody would tell you like, so how do you know you're going to get there? And you just, uh, you know, I don't know. I just think it's the right way, you know, and, um, one of this, uh, just as an anecdote, one of the sayings I always, um, uh, uh, appreciate there when I think about it is like, you know, this, if you want to discover America, you first have to leave the beach, right? And the thing is always, you know, it's a lot of people hanging out at the beach and like, oh, all the things you could do. But in the end, it comes down to grabbing a few planks of wood and start putting them together and just, you know, going out there. And and this is really where, you know, um, where we're at with Grinery. We're at a stage where we just left the beach. We just started grabbing a few pieces of floating stuff and a tire and, you know, I'm moving into this, into, into this, into this direction. And the, the thing rather than saying, you know, what it is and how it works, the best way I believe to understand it today is to understand the problems that today exist, um, in the market, right? And what we're seeing is that in this, when you look forward into this, you know, what's often labeled the future of work, um, we clearly see that the future is in this freelance model. And freelance doesn't mean thinking about just some digital nomad zipping a margarita under, you know, a, 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 a palm tree in, in Mexico um, and, you know, hiring people over, you know, mechanical Turk to do data entry. But it's a profound shift in the way people work. So, the 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 internet on one side has allowed people to gain back their freedom okay and redefine their understanding of work and on the other side it has produced or it is producing very clear benefits for businesses so you know you don't have payroll as people that you know uh, you can bring on board and let go faster you so you have much more agility you can source remotely so there is business benefits and personal benefits and this new way of working and that is are the driving forces that we will see transforming the labor market in the next few years. Okay. Now the problem there is, um, number one, and if I would group them into three is number one from the customer side. So if I look at it from an agency perspective, like I'm an agency owner or I'm a project manager or, you know, I'm somebody that needs to get shit done and deliver it to the customers is, how do I find and vet a freelancer? And I do this all the time. I'm on Upwork or freelancer.com or whatever. And the other day I, I needed somebody that knows the Zoho Creator API. So Zoho has this developer program too, so you can build apps. And I put up this job ad and, and, and I put this ad up in, in Upwork and I had no, no kidding in 48 hours. I think 30 applicants, right? And then you go like, so I don't know any of these guys. I need to get them to work on a customer project so I can just put them on. I need to vet them, okay? I need to figure out who's good. And then how do you go about it? My process is usually I eliminate everybody that starts with dear customer hiring manager, okay? So I disqualify those guys and that gets you down to about half. And then you have about 15 left and you look at how much they want to charge you you know, get rid of the edges and then you have 10 people left and then you write them a message and you try to interview them through a chat message system like an Upwork and you try to make really smart questions, okay? 
and you then start getting a sense of how it works. And after like literally a few days and screening through a few people, you stay with two or three. I put one to work. That guy never really starts. For some reason, he disappears. Then I take the second guy. Okay, it actually turns out he doesn't know shit. And what he's doing, he gives it to his brother or I don't know who he's working with. And, you know, maybe with the third guy, I'm then managing to actually find the guy who that's the job done. And sometimes it's the people that I'm using and working with again. And sometimes I'm just happy that the job is done. Right. And what we're seeing in, and, and it's a real problem, right? You, you spend a lot of time, you, you run risk. It has a cost. And if you're working with customers, especially from an agency perspective, it's not only that you can fuck up some internal project, you know, you can realistically screw over your source of revenue. You know, it's, it has a deep impact, right? So, the, the reality is on the other side. So if we look at this problem, what we've done in inbound apps, the dynamic that we have in inbound apps is, is very different. So at any given time, there's whatever last month, it's say 50 people that worked on and off on different projects. However, there's another 50 or a hundred that are in our Slack teams. Okay. Um, that we can just reach out to. And then we have another database of about a thousand people of freelancers with different background that we haven't worked with, but we can tap into. And what we do is realistically, if I need, or, uh, not realistically, but in a, in a practical manner, whenever I'm doing a project in inbound labs, I'm, my way of finding a, uh, the person I need is I go into the developer channel we have and I go like, hey, at channel, uh, I'm looking for this, this and that developer to do this and that. And then either I find somebody that I didn't know had the skill because they're responding or somebody saying, hey, have you checked with so-and-so or, you know, I know so-and-so that we could bring on board. And I'm basically um, leapfrogging this entire, um, you know, uh, job posting and uh, uh, um, how would you say it? the job posting and um, uh, vetting process, and the result is usually significantly better. Okay, because the people that recommend it, you know, when I come when somebody comes to a recommendation, they're also they're not usually just better because they're recommended, but there is a relationship there that has that produces a commitment to get work done, okay, uh, in a proper way. So that is one problem to solve, and that's you know what we what we believe where there's an opportunity and where the current like marketplaces are dysfunctional, okay. On the other side, for the freelancers, the same model as how it works today, freelancer.com, upwork.com, brings its own challenges, and they're not um, they're not less. Okay, I think there are actually more. As a freelancer, it sounds great, right? Like, you know, ideally travel around the world and, you know, take your laptop and sit in a, in a, in a hammock and, you know, write some code and, you know, live off that. And it, it sounds like a great, it sounds like a dream. And it works really well when you're like 21 and traveling around and have no kids. But freelancing is really not a uh, long-term sustainable career today. So, um it starts with the small stuff. Um, if you're on Upwork on as a freelancer, the statistic is in order to get um, one job, you're going to need to write 20 job applications and then do whatever, eight to 10 interviews to end up with one job or another. And what happens there is that the in, in this marketplace is that the um, uh, the 
the the usually the lowest bidder wins because you're bidding, right? So somebody wants this and to get attention, I ideally like underbid everybody else, right? And the customer goes like, oh, I can get the same shit done, but for half the price, this is awesome, right? And it's really a race to the bottom um, uh, uh, that makes no sense. And this is the this, this, this kind of strange and really unhealthy dynamics that this marketplace and the gig economy produces. It's a commoditization of work, okay, by trying to split everything that can be done into smaller and smaller pieces, okay, you can now outsource a part of the website development to some guy in Pakistan for $5 per hour, okay, however, it doesn't produce a full website, it's just the guy that can, you know, code the forms, and when you try to bring all of this stuff together again, you suddenly run into, you know, from a customer perspective again, into like having to assemble this. Now, for the freelancers, it means extremely this bidding and hustling, running after the money, trying to get paid, okay? Um, you have no job security, you have no projectable income, you have no benefits, okay? You're not even going to get a, a dump credit somewhere, right? Because you've been working over the internet and tomorrow you decide to live in Mexico and you got to go to a bank and they go like, how, how are you in the country anyway? What's your visa, right? But not talking even about a credit history. So there's really no long-term perspective. And we believe that if you look at these problems from both sides, this entire, not only the marketplaces, but the, the, the gig economy, um, including, you know, task rabbits and the Ubers is is totally dysfunctional and has to evolve. So, you know, when we're talking about grindery in a nutshell, right, <laughs> is we are trying to solve this problem. We're trying to look at new ways of bringing customers and, uh, uh, I'll put it like this, to put workers together with people that are looking for workers and allow them to collaborate and work together in a, in a meaningful way that, you know, creates perspective and projection forward. And we believe there's a tremendous benefit for it. There's a, there's a benefit for the workers, for the knowledge workers, for the developers, the designers, the writers, the marketing strategists, the project managers, right? Because now instead of hustling and bidding, um, you can build reputation and network and work basically comes to you. And we believe that this attracts a lot of good people and it allows to look forward into generating more value for them. So um, this comes from a while back already, but we are, we are already looking at things like how do you use the power of having this many freelancers to negotiate rates with health insurance companies at a global scale, right? So there's some really, really cool stuff that can be done, right? And on the other side, because we are attracting great people, um, we, we, for the customers, we have a unique value proposition because now you don't post and vet and work with all sorts of people you don't know. It has to become as simple as going into Slack or doing whatever, Microsoft Teams and going into the right channel and going, hey, I'm looking for this and this person. I need to have a you know, 200, 200 uh, hour web, HubSpot website implementation and the developer I had is busy or whatever who else can I use and people come to you because they 
I would recommend it. And this is kind of the dynamics that we're working on. And, you know, got early prototypes there and we're working with a handful of agencies on one side. And, you know, we have, you know, a couple of hundred people and freelancers on the other side that we're connecting and we're trying out how this dynamics can, you know, actually have to work and how do you automate it. And, um, yeah, it's extremely exciting. You know, I'm, right. uh, Looking at blo- we're looking at blockchain technology for the um, establishing the smart contracts and payment settlements. There's so much things to do. I think it's such a wide open space, and the fact that you know the talent in the HR space is is going to transform radically over five or ten years. Um, you know, it's just right now like your internal compass. My internal compass tells me you know walk north. You know, without a map and without a real plan, but it's you know, the direction I believe of what's going to happen in the future. Right, right. Well, it is such a, I mean, it's such a big opportunity because it's such a massive problem. And obviously the challenge with big opportunities is where exactly do we start? Like, where does this, where does this wind up? Because you can't see the, you need to stay focused on the problem and then kind of solve piece by piece until you get to the answer. This episode of Agency Journey is brought to you by the Digital Project Manager. If you've ever struggled to get your projects delivered on time and on budget, then take a listen to this quick conversation. Ben Aston, who's the founder of the Digital Project Manager. Ben, is there one root problem that you've identified as the cause of so many of the agency project management problems we see? Um, yeah, I, I think the, the main thing really is that project management seems to be a bit of an afterthought. And I think but because it's an afterthought, it means that projects often are delivered late, they're delivered over budget, um, and the clients are often over-serviced or disappointed because they don't get what they wanted to get at the end of the project. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Very few agencies come out of the gate with a plan for effective project management. So if that's the problem, what's the solution? And I know that that's something that you guys are helping to address. How are you helping agencies solve that issue? Yeah, so we uh, last year launched uh, something called the DPM School. Uh, It's an online training course for digital project managers. Uh, But really, it's a course not just for digital project managers. It's anyone who's involved in leading and managing projects. So whether you're an agency owner, you're the person who's been tasked with managing the project. uh, This is a seven-week course. Um, It's a course that's scalable, so you can spend as little as one hour a week over the course of seven weeks or as many as 10, depending on how much time you've got. But it'll give you a really solid grounding on in the complete project life cycle. So from project initiation right through to delivery, uh, you'll learn how to plan, uh, manage, and deliver better projects. Projects that deliver results, uh, projects that are delivered on budget, on time, uh, and with better relationships with the clients at the end of it. If you want to learn more about the Digital Project Manager and see if it's the right solution for you and your team, head over to zenpilot.com slash dpm. That's zenpilot.com slash dpm. Now back to the show. But that's um, – and I think you know when you talk about something like this or folks who I've shared Grindery.io with, the first question is always, oh, it's Upwork, but there's some tweak on it or there's some difference on it, um, which is – I'm sure a, an issue with how, you know, how I'm explaining, but that's, we always just, whatever we can only envision whatever we're familiar with the construct that we already have in our head of how this problem gets solved. Um, so it's a, it's a cool space to be in for sure. There's a couple of things, obviously working with agencies and, um, helping agencies implement processes and systems 
try and help them grow, overcome their problem. The vast majority of agency owners, almost all agency owners, almost all business owners, entrepreneurs in general, um, but specifically in the agency space, like there's so many agencies, the common internal state is just chaos of mm. like, I feel the weight, I feel like I'm burnt out. I feel like I'm, or in the process of burning out. There's so much work to try and stay up with. And I know that I need a team and I know that I need to be able to, to give this to people. And I don't know, you know, many of them start at this, at this point in time, many of them are starting to look, um, for, you know, distributed teams or remote teams or, um, people, you know, regardless. And sometimes that's for geo arbitrage reasons where they're just trying to take advantage of, you know, you're in the U S or you're in somewhere else and you're trying to hire people who are in, um, less economically, uh, affluent areas who maybe can deliver the same work for cheaper prices. Sometimes it's availability of talent. Sometimes they just want to avoid the overhead of having a physical office space. Um, there's a lot of different reasons for it. And most of them are struggling because they don't have a process or system to pull people into is one. They don't have a good onboard, you know, they, nothing's clearly defined. They're looking for the magic person out there, the clone of themselves who can come in and be just as motivated about the business, but work for a fifth of the price and come in and solve problems for them. So that's on one hand, we've got like that problem of we're not really equipped to pull people in and put them to work effectively. And on the other hand, the problem is I don't know where to look for the right kind of people. And we've all had the experience of, I tried to hire this freelancer to do this and I got burned because they weren't qualified to do it. You know, it was a combination of me not having the right instructions and right parameters, but also I just chose the wrong person. And so that obviously that fear then impacts and that experience impacts what we do moving forward. So, um, you are, <laughs> well, yeah, that's basically where I'm going is you're one of the people who I'm familiar with who's been able to, you've grown a diamond HubSpot partner, you've built a team, now you're building this service. I've personally experienced it um, with, uh, you know, the early prototypes here of Grindery.io, and I, I like how it's working. Um but what are the tips that you have? Like how, what's the key, what are the keys? And I don't know whether, you know, it's hard to give people because people are in somewhat different situations, but for most of the com most of the pains are common. People express them differently, but it's still mostly the same stuff. What's the framework that we need as marketing agencies to do a better job of building a, a team that can scale and, and, and is equipped to do the right thing. Okay. So I, um, there's a few things that you know I've that taken with me over time. So I, I think the first the first thing to set in in your own mind is to forget about the distinction between traditional employee and a freelancer. Okay, um, whenever I look for a freelancer, I treat the process and the way at looking at who I'm or who I'm looking for the same way as if I'm looking for somebody I want to work with for the next 10 years, okay? Like, it's very rare that I spend the time evaluating somebody, even if it's a specific requirement. Like, um, I think we had this a few years ago that we needed a presser shop to HubSpot integration or something, okay? And you can now go out and go like, oh, I need, you know, to do a gig, a project, and I need a freelancer to do this one job, right? 
And when I look at it, I usually look at, no, I need somebody that has Presser Shop and HubSpot experience. And I have a specific project for him. But I obviously, once I found him, I have an asset. Now, every time I have a lead coming in that, you know, uses Presser Shop, I can go like, guys, I got somebody, like one of the three people in the world that have like Presser Shop, HubSpot integration experience, right? So I look at it more like finding a team member than trying to find somebody that I, I just going to use temporarily. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but I think that is a mindset thing, okay? And um, in, in this example, for example, with this Magenta developer, since then, I think we've done half a dozen customer with this guy. Plus, we've developed an extension we've put up on the Presser Shop directory. You notice that then produces leads and so on. So there's a lot of things that come out of it. So one is this mindset of, you know, not looking for a gig worker, you know, a task rabbit, but it's looking at, I got, I'm building a workforce that I can go back and this is an asset that I'm developing and I'm going to put the time into it that it takes, okay? The, the, then the second thing that, I know and that we all know in Inbound, it's all the partners, you know, because we're by now multiple companies, is a consensus that we came up with that is you don't know if you can work with somebody until you actually work with that person, okay? Like I've had people that I, I, couldn't, I couldn't interview, okay, because they, I don't even speak the same language, but it turns out in writing and Slack, they're great and we've been working with them for five years, you know, and the other way around, it's people that you have great conversation with and job interviews. You start working with them and it turns out to be complete disaster. Okay. So we've abandoned, we all of us have abandoned the idea that you can judge people, be really judge people on their work before you work with them. Okay. And we failed. I guarantee you, we have failed 10 X over where we've succeeded. Okay. And what we've done as a result is, Whenever we want to, for example, hire a developer, we cast a white net, we find a bunch of candidates, and we get literally three developers to work, okay, on the same project. And we actually have a, we have a landing page project, okay, that we call Mission Impossible, okay? You can't implement it, okay? Like, it's not possible. The fonts are not there. The logos are in low resolution. Like it's this typical thing. If you add all the customer problems of an agency with a stupid customer, okay, into one small project, it's all there, okay? Like no access rights, you know, like no access rights to the Google Doc with the, with the text in it, okay? It's all wrong. And the only objective of this is we pay people like, I don't know, five hours of work to do the landing page, whatever it is they say. They say like, oh, it's going to take me 10 hours. Okay, cool. Look, it's first job, we pay you five hours. Okay, whatever. And we see how they negotiate, what their rate is. And then we put them on it and we just want to see how they fail. Because we don't want the guy who comes back after a day goes like, I made the landing page. We have people that come back like, I'm ready. The moment they tell me they're ready, I already know we're not going to hire them because they're bullshitting. They cannot finish it. And you can identify the people that are good because they are resolving the problems. They're communicating with you. And you never finish the project. At some point, you tell them, look, just forget about it. It's not a real project. We're not going to finish it. Okay, but uh, sorry for the headache because people are sweating. They're freaking out. You know, like it's, it, you know, so it, it's it, the, the rule really is um, 
rethink the hiring. You know, before you had to hire employees. So once you do a commitment, letting go of somebody is really difficult. And in the legal and the financial and the personal relationship, it's all really difficult. And the freelance work, it's completely different. You can start with three developers on the same project, filter them out, stay with two, keep one, and hopefully one sticks around. And we do this all the time on all fronts, like hire a designer. We can't hire one designer. We need to start working with three and figure out how they actually work out because two are going to fail for sure, okay, even after this vetting and screening. So it's, you know, number one, think long-term. Number two, think, um, you know, changing the hiring and vetting process radically from how you would do it with employees. And I think the third one is, which is actually pretty, um, uh, for me, is very important, and it's maybe not that obvious, and it took us a while to really internalize and put it like this. We have learned that collaboration and communication skills, even if we talk about developers, beats uh, expertise, uh, skill, and everything else, hands down, every time. Okay? Like, uh, I think we've most failed, we've failed a lot with developers, but we've failed a lot with designers. Like, we've hired so many different designers throughout the time to the through the through the history of the company and people where you look at their artwork and the interfaces they design and it's outstanding like you can see the visual results the programmers are not that visual right but you look at the work a designer did go and you could go like this is awesome like you know this is awesome work and you bring these people on board and they're not able to communicate and say they're sick so they're not, not going to come online for like two days or they, you know, and it's just you're sitting there and going like, you must be kidding me, you know, like you're technically excellent, you know, you're a smart person and so on, but they're not able to communicate and collaborate in teams. And the fact is you're better off with somebody that is technically not that good but willing to learn or on a, on a path upwards or not even is as good as he is, but you know how to work with that person because you can use him as an asset. You know, this is a, let me speak a little bit. This is a mediocre developer, okay? There's a lot of work for mediocre developers, like a lot, right? You don't need Einsteins to do HubSpot landing pages. So they don't need to be that good, but they need to be able to communicate and collaborate. If they can't do that, you can't use them for anything because you can't put them in any project with the customer. It's going to, like, you know, ruin your your business and your life, and you're not going to sleep easy for a long time. And yeah. well, there's many different things, but I think from in terms of team building, um, these are the three fundamentals. Yeah. Okay. And, and at the center of that is really to come to the realization that this is the future and this is what the agencies that are successful are doing successful already. Okay, like it's not something you can you know, get around and, uh, you know, I've been now in the agency business. I never wanted to be in the agency business, but I've now been in it for five years. And as you put it, it produces a certain level of chaos and anxiety and overload and where people and the partners and owners get the sensation where it's like, it's too much, you know, it's too much. Okay. And you need to realize like you either get out of the business or you really think about where's this thing going to be in 10 years? Because, 
if you keep on driving in this chaos, which is natural in the agency, but if you keep on driving with an old model in a changing market, it is a matter of time where you, you're going to be absolute. Like you're not going to be able to compete anymore. And then all of this headache and this anxiety and, you know, this, this, this sense of overload is going to end in a big frustration and a bang where you feel you're going to, you know, you've lost many years of your life, literally, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. I think those three tips alone are really valuable. And I love the mission impossible idea. That's we did not do that early on. We didn't run the test projects thing. That was a real quick learning experience for us. So mm-hmm. like we, you really have people can, and that's why I love sports so much. Is once you're out on the athletic field in the midst of competition, people's true character comes out. Um, and it's the same way. Yeah. Like we can sit at the table and we can talk all we want, but when I'm out there and the um, adrenaline is just going crazy, we're out surfing or whatever. Like you're gonna see who I really am in those trying situations. And it's the same thing in the workplace. Like we can sit and have an interview and I can tell you whatever, but you don't actually know what it's like to work with me until we actually work together. Throw me a ball, you know, like throw somebody a ball and see like, what do you do? Like catch it or start right. talking? Or like you throw it at them, they get it at the head and they blame you for it or whatever, right? I mean, the reality is you're gonna have to play ball, you know, right. and you need people that play ball and not people that talk about playing ball and, you know, and then, that catch and when the ball falls down, run after it and, you know, and, right. and, and, and see that problem. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Oh, hold well, on one second. Hold on one second. Yeah. It's, it's my son coming with his homework from school. Look, uh, I got to be done in, uh, in, in about five minutes and then we do it together. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that is great. Bye. <laughs> that's awesome um well this is this has been really good so we'll go ahead and wrap up here tim um you've got homework to do it sounds like but as far as, as as far as yeah exactly as far as what you have um right now is there anything with anywhere beyond so grindery.io um agencies people looking for work they can certainly uh check that out and go there any anywhere else that you'd point people um, yeah, from our side, um, I'm, look, as I said, we're doing really small steps. We're working with a handful of agencies. Um, anybody, you know, um, that is interested in this topic and, you know, sits in the agency either, you know, as a partner or a founder or, you know, manages a lot of projects, but, you know, is, is confronting this reality on building, you know, teams and, you know, bringing you know talent into into the organization and and working together um anybody who's really interested in this um yeah just you don't just have to go to the website like send me a facebook message or send me an email or um it's going to be here or write me here in the group um i'm i'm very interested in having those this this conversations i believe for us and for me it's very enriching because i can learn a lot on the real problems that people have with it and you know if it turns out we have the capacity i'm happy to help and you know see where the synergies are we're not at the moment where we can scale this to you know a million people but we take on on one and another agency over time and try to work very hands-on um to to make it work and you know uh, we screw up stuff on the way obviously and we've already done this with grindery and some stuff works well so i'm also looking for people that are not there 
you know, sitting as like, oh, I've got this mission critical thing and this has to work, yes or yes. No, I need people that are very interested and that, you know, looking at working with us over time and building this together. So fact is the partners in Grindery and the main shareholders are, again, the owners of the other inbound labs agencies, you know, because we're building this together. It's a shared resources and, um, you know, a, a way of building a shared talent pool and workforce that, you know, we believe is what our future is going to be built on. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's well, good. Well, Tim, thanks so much for coming on, for sharing with us. This has been really fun and I look forward to doing it again. All right. And then um, if there's any follow-up questions, comments, send me a Facebook message to a comment on this video stream when you watch it. Um, appreciate it. I'm going to go back to my son's homework here. Homework time. That's awesome. Homework time. All right. Bye-bye.